0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. You gotta be dead! You gotta be dead one way or the other. You got either be dead physically, or you gotta be dead spiritually, but you got to be dead. There's no question about it. Therein lies the problem. Consequently, you got to be dead to know much about the place as well. It seems that the people that are the most confident about heaven are those people that have had these uh, these death experiences or near-death experiences where they've been transported to heaven and come back and written books about it. Um, you know, those type of things. That the... Uh, uh, people who have died and come back to talk about it. They write best-selling books on the subjects. I've read a couple of those books. I've even seen some interviews by people regarding uh, those books and the people that wrote those books. And I'm not going to sit here this morning and argue with somebody's experience. That's not my job. But what I find amazing about all these instances is that very rarely does somebody come back and tell you how to get there. They can tell you all about it. They can talk about it. They can talk around it. They can describe it. They can explain all these sensational things that happen to them, but they never get to the point where they say, this is how you get there. And so the question is, how do you get to heaven? Now, I know who I'm talking to. And most of us agree about the prerequisites of getting to heaven. But that's pretty much where the agreement ends and the speculation begins. And so the proposition I have for for us this morning is, how do we prepare for heaven? How do you and I prepare for heaven in light of what's gone on recently in Chiang Mai? Not only this year, but also last year. And we're seeing it time and it happened time and again. Uh, Just recently, uh, Paul, Paul, Wiki was uh, in a very bad accident. He almost lost his life. Uh, God spared him. But things like this happen, and you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't plan for it to happen. And so the question that arises out of these, out of these things is, how do you prepare for heaven? And that's the question I want to address this morning. So if you take your Bible and turn to first, Second Corinthians chapter 4, Verse sixteen. I want to read this passage of scripture, verse sixteen, second Corinthians four, sixteen, through chapter five, verse ten. And it reads like this, and I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. It says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on the heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on... We may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse six So we always so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we have good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the question is, how do you prepare for heaven? And I want to, and I'm making a basic assumption here, and my assumption is this that everybody is so preoccupied with life. We're preoccupied with living, with making a living, we're preoccupied with ministry, we're preoccupied with falling in love, having kids. What are we preoccupied prepare for heaven? And the first is developing an eternal perspective, by developing an eternal perspective. He says in verse uh, 16, he says, uh, we we do not lose heart. Now, that's not the first time Paul said that in this chapter. He said it in chapter 4, verse 1 as well. He says, we don't lose heart. Now, losing heart, having perspective is everything in life. Having that that right attitude, that right dimension, having that right angle is everything. Especially when it comes to thinking about heaven and how we get to heaven. Perspective is absolutely crucial when it comes to uh, living life and living the Christian life. And so he says, we do not lose heart. The word to lose heart here means to become cowardly or timid, faint-hearted, weak, hopeless, or fearful. To lose our courage. It's absolutely crucial that we don't lose heart in life. And if there's anyone that could have lost heart, it was the Apostle Paul. And I'll show you that in just a minute. But Paul's saying, we do not lose heart. Now, some of you I know have taken a beating. You've taken a beating financially. You've taken a beating physically. You've taken a beating relationally. You're facing things in life, and you have every reason in the world... To lose heart. And Paul says, We do not lose heart. As Christians, we don't need to lose heart. And he gives us a couple of keys, which I'll get to in just a minute. Um, and you know, when you get to that point in life and you say, you know, sometimes it's just not worth it. Uh I just don't care anymore. Have you ever been there? They say, K sirrah Sarah. Who cares? It's just you're taking such a beating. That sometimes you just throw your hands in the air and say, you know, I just want to give up. Uh, but Paul had that same thing. And so he says, we don't lose heart. But there's a, there's a threat. There's an external threat that's there. And it's this our outer body is wasting away. He says, though our outer body is wasting away, though here introduces a condition assumed to be true. An outer, our outer man is wasting away. In fact, it's true. And you and I have to deal with it. Let's face it, folks. You're wasting away. You're getting older. You can't see like you used to. I never wore glasses before I was 30. I won't tell you how old I am now. You can't recover from physical exercise like you used to. You get up in the morning, you come down the stairs, and you hear all sorts of noises you never heard before. (laughs) You can't even keep up with your kids anymore. They can't, you can't beat them down the street. You're wasting away. You're starting to get crow's feet in your eyes. You're wasting away. Your body, he's talking about the body. He says your outer self is wasting away. He's referring to the body as being the other self. It's decaying. It's wearing out. It can't see the way it used to. And he says despite this, he says we don't lose heart. Now why? Why? Why doesn't he lose heart? He goes on, and he says, because our inner self is being renewed day by day. Even though there's a threat that's on the outside, there's an eternal truth, and the truth is this, that somehow, way, God in his sovereignty is renewing you day by day. Now, there's some things we've got to do there. But he's saying we're being renewed day by day. That's the heart, the inner self. That's the heart. That's the soul. That's the real stuff. That's the internal part of us that lives forever. That's the real being. That's you. And it's referring to, in the Greek here, it's talking about a present continuous work that's going on in your heart. At the same time the outer man is wasting away, you're being renewed day by day, inwardly in your inner man. And so Paul doesn't lose heart. Uh, Now... It sounds good, but there's, there's, still, some, there's still some prerequisites here. And, 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 and my question is, how? How? Even though he's got these light, momentary afflictions that are going on, these trifles that are going on, how is it that he doesn't lose heart? Because he says later in the passage, he says, he fixes his eyes on the unseen. He says we have these light, momentary, light, light momentary afflictions, these troubles, these troubles. It means it's a, it's a weightless trifle. It's nothing when compared with eternity. All the difficulties that you and I face when compared to eternity is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. It's like, it's like a raindrop in the ocean. In importance to eternity, it's absolutely nothing. And it's preparing for us, he says, an eternal weight of glory. But he says, how does he do this? By fixing his eyes on what can't be seen. He fixes his eyes on what can't be seen. You see, to Paul, he was more concerned, he was more concerned with his inward spiritual life than he was with his outward physical life. He was concerned about what happened to him spiritually, not so much physically. Only God can catch and renew the inner man. Where, he does not, where God does not fulfill fill, fills the life. Christ is at home for that person. And so through, through these light momentary afflictions, these troubles, these difficulties that he's experiencing, the Scripture says in verse 17, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's far greater than all the suffering one may face in this life. You see, the trials in life, the things that you and I go through, they're preparing for us an eternal weight of glory and they're actually working for you not against you all the things that you're facing in your life the trials the tribulations the troubles the stress the things that 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 drive you crazy those things are working in your life to prepare you for an eternal weight of glory but it says we have our eyes fixed on the things that are unseen. And so Paul says we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Even though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed. Why? Because we have our eyes fixed on things above. We have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We have our eyes fixed outside of ourselves on the unseen, which is just as real as this chair. And yet, we don't give it that same meaning because we can't touch it, we can't feel it, we can't smell it. But it's just as real. And he says, so focus. Get the right perspective. Listen, you know how you prepare for heaven? You have an eternal perspective. And he goes on, he talks about the things fixing our eyes on what can't be seen because the things you fix your eyes on the scene, that's transient. That's all going to pass away one day. All the things that you see, that you can feel and touch, they're going to pass away. And you lose heart when you focus on those things. But when you focus on the unseen, the eternal things, you gain courage. And so Paul here says, fix your eyes on things above. Have an eternal perspective. As you look at life, as you live life, as you face the things that you face... It's really important for us as Christians to be developing an eternal perspective, to get that right perspective in life. Realizing that what we're doing on this earth is important, but this is all passing away. And one day we're going to stand before Him. And who knows when that time might come? Who knows? I mean, some of us... You know, we could walk out of this room. And God forbid something should happen. I uh, just, just the other day, recently I, I uh, was reading in the paper and uh, saw that uh, Obama had gone to visit this woman at a restaurant, ate at a restaurant. And after he ate there, uh, shortly thereafter, I think within a couple hours, the woman dropped out of a heart attack. The Bible teaches that your life is like a vapor. It's here. Be prepared that untimely incident happens in your life, should it happen. He says in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, heaven knew when he went to bed, when he laid his head down and closed his eyes, if he was going to wake up the next day. And when he woke up, he never knew if he was going to make it through that day without being killed. I can't think of anybody else that lived with such an eminent sense of death on their life than the Apostle Paul. And and it's right there in Scripture. If you turn back in chapter 4 to verse 8, you can see it he says in verse 8 he says we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying in the in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He goes on in chapter 7, and he talks about it some more. And then he goes on in chapter 11, verse 23, and he says this, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, the Jews, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, is the daily pressure of, me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was someone who lived with a sense of imminent death. He knew full well when he got up, it could be his last day on earth. He fully understood that when he lay down to sleep, he may not ever wake up. And yet, and yet, he wasn't willing to be caught with his pants down. The question is, you know, how do you deal with this? I mean, if you're the apostle Paul, how do you deal with it? And how do you deal with, with imminent death? That's a good question. How do you face it? How could he face it day after day? He says in chapter five, verse one, he says, for we know if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, that word destroyed means to be dismantled. If that tent, our earthly body, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so Paul says here, he says, he says, regardless of what happens, whether I'm um, in the body and away from the Lord, or away from the body and with the Lord, regardless of all that, he says, I know. He says, for I know in verse 5. For I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has prepared something for me outside of this body. He knows. And so he goes through and he says, he says in verse 5, he says, For I know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he goes and he switches metaphors. He plays with metaphors here and he talks about a tent. A tent being an earthly an earthly thing. Now Paul uses a tent probably because he was a tent maker, but also because of Abraham and, and uh, the pictures that he got from the Old Testament. But he talks about a tent, and it's an earthly thing. It's temporary. It's made by hands. But Paul knew that if that tent, this tent that is wasting away, that's being destroyed, is dismantled, and he, he goes from his body to be with the Lord, God has prepared something better for him. He's prepared a heavenly building, an eternal building, not made with hands. And so Paul, can, Paul has the ability to look death right in the face and he's not the least bit scared. He's not the least bit concerned because to him, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It mattered not to the Apostle Paul if he lived on this earth or if he died. He could care less one way or the other. His preference, his preference was to be with the Lord. But should the Lord tarry, and should the Lord leave him here, he would serve God faithfully. He says, For we know that if this earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A glorious ministry. He had a glorious ministry over in chapter 7, verse 1. He talks about, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he talks about a glorious ministry that he has. In 2 Corinthians 4, we have a confident faith. And 2 Corinthians 5, we have a future hope. And the key of all this is in verse 6, where he says, "He says, be always of good courage. And in verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. Uh, courage here means to have joy, to be confident. Uh, how, could, how could Paul face death with such confidence? Because he knew. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had already prepared for him. Now, the building here is not referring to to heaven, some scholars would say that. I would, I would disagree. The building here is referring to your, your, new temple, your earthly body that you receive at the resurrection, and so he's talking about receiving a new building, a resurrected body, a new body. And uh, God was preparing that for him. Verse two in chapter five, he says, "For in this tent we groan." He says, "We groan twice." He says, "We groan." Romans 23, groaning for our redemption of our body. We groan because we're weighted down by afflictions, by pressure, by troubles, by temptations. Paul is groaning. And he says, I groan because of the limitations of this body. And he he wants to go and be with the Lord. He wants a new body. Now, what does he mean? He says, he says, We groan longing to put on a heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Now, what does he mean when he says that we might not be found naked? This is a difficult passage. So Paul here is he's groaning because of the limitations that he has in his body that's decaying. And he knows that God has something better for him. He knows God has a better body for him. He knows God has a perfect life for him. And he longs for that. But yet he's concerned that he's going to be found naked. And so what's what's he mean? What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about what scholars have referred to as being the intermediate state. And there's a doctrine in the Bible called the intermediate state. It's the state between the death of a believer and the resurrection of a believer from the dead of the believer and there's that state in between called the intermediate state and so paul here is basically saying he's saying he's saying when we put on our resurrection body when we put on our resurrection body we don't want to be naked he doesn't want to be found naked so what is concerned was that christ christ would uh, that he would die and go to be with christ but in dying and going to be with christ he would be in in an intermediate state. In other words, he would not yet receive his resurrected body because Christ had not returned yet for the second time. And so he says, he says, we put on the resurrection body, we won't be naked. So being naked would be a condition which you don't have your resurrection body, right? I mean, listen listen to the line of reasoning. When we put on the resurrection body, we won't be naked. So, being naked would be a condition in which you don't have your resurrection body, right? And so Paul here is saying, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. He says in verse 4, while we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Putting on what? Putting on the resurrection body. He wouldn't be found naked. And so Paul's concern was that was that Jesus, that he would die and go into this intermediate state. And by doing that, he would be naked. That is, not have a resurrected body, which he longed for. He groaned for it. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the spiritual life to come, which involves a resurrection body. Now, you have to understand that the resurrection body was very, very important to Paul. And it was very important to Jesus. It was very important to the Corinthians. And it should be very important to you and I. Because the resurrection body, did you realize that Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ took on the form of a man, he received a body? And he came into this world in the form of a man and he died as a man. And he rose, was resurrected, and given a resurrected body. And when he came back 40 days later to the disciples, what did he have? Did he have a body? Did he have a body? He had a body. And he showed Thomas. He said, Thomas, here. The wound's in my hand. He had a body. He had a resurrected body. An amazing body. And for all eternity, Jesus Christ will always have a body. And that's why the body is so important. That's why in the New Testament to the Corinthians and to Paul, the resurrection body was so important. Because because without the body, they they didn't feel like they could fully worship God. Not that that was necessary, but that's the way God planned it. That's how it, that's how it worked out. And so, and, and, and you had this dualistic Greek philosophy, dualistic philosophy going around, going around in those days that basically said that, that matter is evil, anything of matter is evil, but anything spirit is good. And so there was this, this dualism, so anything that was part of the body was evil. That's why, that's why the Sadducees rejected the resurrection of Jesus. Re- rejected anything to do with a resurrected body. Because to the, to, the Greek, to the Greek philosophers of the day, to be caught inside that body was a limitation they did not want. And they wanted to be freed from that body. You can sort of look at it today with Buddhism, in a sense. That Buddhism, when someone dies, they believe that their, their spirit is freed from the body. And it's just sort of wandering around. No, no, we don't believe that. We don't believe that it's just wandering around. Because the Bible makes it clear that when, when you die, your spirit does what? Goes to be with the Lord. You may not have your resurrected body. That's what it means when he says naked. But you are with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. To be with the Lord is to be absent from the body. And so Paul here is trying to make a case to the Corinthians because resurrection, the resurrected body, was such an important thing to the Corinthians. And it, and it went against the prevailing philosophy of the day. Greek philosophy that believed in dualism. That anything of the spirit is good, anything of the body is evil. And so the whole idea was to be released from this body so that you could encompass everything that belongs to the spirit world. Well, we reject that philosophy as Christians. But this is part of what's going on in Paul's thinking as he's explaining this to the Corinthians. And this is why he gets into it. So he's so he's talking about the spiritual life to come, which involves a resurrection body. And it ran co- counter to Greek culture and dualistic philosophy that the Greeks had. Paul wasn't looking for release from the body. He was looking for a new glorified body. Paul knew that the next life is perfect. And so the doctrine of the intermediate state is this time between the death of the believer, and the resurrection, and three options that Paul had, really not options, but more preferences. Paul's preference, his preference was that, number one, that he would be alive when Christ returns. So in other words, Paul, and you have to understand this about the New Testament when he wrote this book, was they were fully expecting the return of Christ. That's why 1 Thessalonians 4, he talks about he talks of first second he talks about the return of Jesus. They were fully expecting Jesus to return in their day in their time. And so Paul was saying, my first preference is to be alive when Christ returns, not to be found naked. He didn't want to be found naked. He wanted to be with Christ so Christ would return, well, he would go to heaven and he would receive his resurrected body right then and there without its limitations and He would no longer be groaning. It would be absolute bliss. That was His preference. But should the Lord tarry? And He did tarry. To die and be with Christ. His second preference was to die and to be with Christ. He says, he sa- he says, it, he says it over in, uh, in the latter part of the, the chapter. He says, he says, I prefer to, 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 to die and be with the Lord. To be away from the body is to be with the Lord. And that was his preference, to die and be with Christ, should the Lord tarry. But should the Lord not tarry, his third preference was to go on walking by faith and not by sight. Until such a time as either number one happens or number two happens. And so my question to you is, is that our is that our state of mind when it comes to this whole idea of death? Do we have a desire to be alive when Christ comes? And should the Lord tarry? Are we okay to, to die and be with Christ? And should the Lord tarry even further to go on walking by faith and not by sight? And so, there's uh So when you think about death and you think about how to prepare for heaven the first thing we need to do is you know develop an internal perspective and understand that this old body it's wasting away but it's being but the inner man is being renewed day by day don't get caught with your pants down be prepared be prepared paul did not want to be caught with his pants down he faced he faced he, he was a person that looked death in the face every single day. Death was imminent to him. And dear friends, I, I'll tell you, it's imminent with you and us as well. We just don't realize it. We don't really think about it that way. But for those people that risk their lives every day, they fully understand what's going on. But death is imminent. Death is no respecter of persons. Death can happen at any time. Paul understood that. He understood that. The last thing I want to share with you, how do you prepare for heaven? Determined to walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, chapter 5, verse 5, he says, He says, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we have good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or bad. Uh, Just three things I want to share here. First of all, the guarantee. The guarantee of walking by faith, not by sight. Verse 5. He has prepared for us. This very thing is God, who has given to us a spirit, uh, spirit as a guarantee. God has given to us his spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit works in us, daily renewing us, daily strengthening us. It's a foretaste and a guarantee of future completion of the work that's to come in our resurrection bodies and our complete sanctification. So God has given us a guarantee and that's his spirit. Secondly the necessity of walking by faith not by sight. The necessity of walking by faith not by sight. Verse 9 he says so whether we are at home or away we make it our aim to please him. Paul says whether I'm, I'm home in the body and away from the Lord or I'm away from the body and home with the Lord I always make it my aim to please him. The necessity of walking by faith not by sight. This is how we please God. John Piper uh, has written something interesting on this. He said this. He says, The question of authentic faith, this theme focuses the question as to whether our faith is real, substantial, biblical faith in objective, external reality outside ourselves. Namely, is our faith in God or is it a mere subjective experience of feelings and thoughts inside ourselves that function as an emotional cushion to soften the bumps of life and give us a network of friends facing eternity, has an amazing effect of sobering us out of religious delusions. So when we talk about the necessity of walking by faith. Is your faith objective, substantial faith, outside of yourself in a real person? It's not a subjective experience of feelings and thoughts inside, but it's objective in a person. And then lastly, the motive for walking by faith, not by sight. Verse 10, he talks about the judgment. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the, done in the body, whether good or evil. So Paul goes and he says, this is the motive for walking by faith, is that one day we're going to stand before the judgment of Christ. And this isn't the judgment of, between believers and unbelievers, this is the judgment of believers for the things that they've done in the body whether good or bad. And there's degrees of judgment, and there's degrees of reward. And Paul is saying that that's a huge motivation for him to walk in such a way that pleases God because one day you and I are going to stand before that judge and give an account for the things that we've done in the body, away from the Lord, in these decaying bodies, whether good or bad. And he says, Paul says, that motivates me. That motivates me. And so as you think about this, these these things that have happened, how do you you prepare for heaven? Develop an eternal perspective. Don't get caught with your pants down. Realize that death is imminent. It could happen at any time. It could happen to you. It could happen to me. I I have the privilege of traveling quite a bit. I think it's more of a curse. But I travel quite a bit. I'm constantly getting on airplanes. And uh, every time I get on an airplane, I think about it. And now now I have this habit with my wife that we sit down, I give her all the passwords to all my accounts. I get them on my iPhone, I back them up to my computer. Because I want her to be completely prepared in case something should happen. Because Let's face it. It's imminent. You just don't know, and I'm not trying to be depressing. It's just something that I've I've seen happen and I've faced this year, many times. I've lost several relatives, and we've seen this person just recently, Tom Chris, uh, pass away. Chris Tom, excuse me. Who was one of our co-workers way back when? It's imminent. You don't know when it's going to happen. My question to you is, are you you prepared for it? Are you ready for it? Have you taken the necessary precautions you need to take? In case. Have you taken the precautions with your children? With your wife? Wife with your husbands? Because it's really important stuff. I mean, can you imagine? What kids are going through? Wives are going through? And so, it's imminent. And uh, and I think when things like this happen, God's you know He's He's giving us a wake up call, and He's and he wants to say something to us. And I think this is part of it. You know, develop that eternal perspective. Realize that death is imminent. And lastly, should the Lord tarry? Walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for this passage, uh, for these difficult words. Father, I pray that um, you would help us as a people the church. Always be ready. That time when... Father, help us to take the necessary precautions... Lord, and while we're on this earth, I pray that you would help us to develop that eternal perspective that we need. Understanding that we're fragile, we're frail, we're, we're getting older, we're fading away. And yet, Lord, thank you that you're renewing us day by day. We praise you for for your word. We ask you to bless it to our hearts and our, and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.